Can you hear me? Let's see. Good morning, ladies. I had the distinct uh, pleasure yesterday of um, spending the entire day with my grandchild, who is just uh, over one, and um, she just started to walk, so 15 steps, 20 steps, I'm counting the whole day, is so exciting. But one of the things we did, we had lunch together, and since she's a modern child like your children, she eats things like hummus and artichokes and things like that. <laughs> but I was recollecting that when I was um, a young mom at home, I did not have any other mothers around me that I knew I was the first in my family to have children, I was the first in my professional group to have children, I was in a town I didn't grow up in, and I was really lonesome for company. So every day at noon, I got some company here <laughs> with Erica King and all her children. And uh, it was my guilty pleasure, you know how it is. Um, it was my guilty pleasure, and at noon, you know, baby had her food, and mama had her food, and we would just kind of, you know, commune together, and she was young enough that, you know, of course, she wasn't receiving the information about the infidelity and, until one day when she said, Mom, I thought Tad was that other mommy's daddy. <laughs> and that was the last day I watched all my children. Because I knew... Um, as somebody who's raising a child, not just babysitting a child, it really matters what you're putting into them. And sometimes you don't even know what's going in when it's going in. And clearly I did not. But one good thing had happened was that I knew I had to shut the TV off, but I was still lonesome for some company. And as it, as it, as God would have it, um, Midday Connection was a 12 noon to 1 p.m. radio show on Moody. And Midday Connection was hosted by Andrea Favory, and she talked about mom issues, and girl issues, and woman issues, and raising family issues, and wife issues, and all the things I really needed information about. And it was all good enough for my child to hear. So today we're going to be talking about forgiving your past sins. That one is, you know, easy to say in front of a group. The other ones I'm not going to say in front of a group. But you and I both know we have stuff in our life we wish we didn't have. But like this moment with all my children and then substituted by the radio program, um, I learned that Jesus has a way out from under a lot of the things that have tempted us in the past. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also pro provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There are temptations in our lives that we've taken up on. There are ones that will come before us today, and we're going to ask that, Lord, this promise be true for us, that the temptations for us to do something regrettable would be substituted, would be supplanted by something holy. And good. So today we're going to talk about some regrettable issues. And in the news, and we've heard this mentioned a few times, was the story of Amber Geiger, Geiger um, killing an innocent man in the wrong apartment while she was walking along with her, with her phone in her hand, eyes down, content, not good, walks into an apartment shoots an innocent man thinking it's her apartment, it's not her apartment. And you heard the story the last couple weeks about how the victim's brother said, I forgive you. I look at you like I look at any other face, and I forgive you. And the best thing you could do would be to give your life to Christ, which is huge. But because forgiveness is contagious, the judge, seeing that, spoke to that mom as well. And I'm going to just read her words. And if you haven't seen it, 
you could look this up on YouTube, you'll see this video. It was on CNN and some other channels. She says, this time the spotlight is on. She says, Miss Geiger, Mr. Jane, the brother, has forgiven you. Please forgive yourself so you can live a purposeful life. And Amber Geiger says, do you think my life can still have purpose? And the judge said, I know it can. She said, I don't even have a Bible. I don't even know where to begin. And with that, the judge said, I went and retrieved my Bible, which says something right there, doesn't it? And gave it to her saying, this is the one I use every day. This is your job for the next month. It says right here in John 3, 16. And this is where you start. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. And after which the convicted woman said, can I hug you? And she hugged the person who would to meet out her consequences. And the judge said, I hope she will be a better person coming out than she was going in. And that's what Jesus says to us as well. Today we're going to talk about these things. We're going to recognize what sin is in a short definition. We're going to distinguish between regretting and repenting. And we are going to learn to return so that we can come in better than we went out. Are you ready for that, ladies? All right, we've got breaking news. Breaking news is all the time, but in, in, the, uh, in the Bible, we didn't have any of the uh, 24-7 news cycle, but we did have a couple of people that would, would definitely track everything that was happening in the life of Christ, and they are the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, yes? All of them contemporaries, all of them writing down what they were seeing or writing down what they were learning after the fact. Here they are, the early reporters, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the profile pics. <laughs> Um, we are going to camp today in the book of Matthew, and if you can juggle your Bible at this moment, and I know it's challenging, it's way better if you read from the Bible than my, my, my screens, but I know it's hard. You got the coffee, you got the book, you got the, you know, you got the whole thing. But let me just say this, in general, it's always better for you to read from the book itself, and not even an online version of it. And here's the reason, because there's a lot of extraneous information that you get as your eyes are casting over the scriptures that are near what we're focusing on today. So if you can do it, that's the great thing. But we're going to start in Matthew 16, and as I look at my copy of Matthew 16, I see, oh, gee, just before Matthew 16 starts, I've got Jesus feeding the 4,000. There are two records of uh, miraculous feedings, but a lot of, lot of interesting things are happening in the life of, of Jesus at this time and his 12 disciples. And some miraculous things that are happening, and it's right in front of their faces, and they're seeing that the power of Jesus is true. But at the same time, there's pressure coming down on the disciples and on Jesus because people are wondering, who is this guy? Who is this guy who thinks he's God? Who is this guy who claims to be able to do miracles? And so the pressure is coming in on the small band of transformers, the Jesus and his disciples. And so it's important that Jesus get information about what his disciples understand about him. Now, I want to tell you, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John each wrote about this particular regrettable sin that we're going to talk about. It's as if it's on every news feed and every Twitter account. It's everywhere. Not all the stories of Jesus or the, or the history of his movement through um, cities and towns are in all four Gospels, but this one hit all four Gospels. It was big news, breaking news of the day. We're going to start in Matthew 16, and I am going to jump around a bit because 
time doesn't allow me to read it all out loud to you, but Matthew 16, 13 through 18, uh, paraphrase, we're going to start. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He questioned, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, which means son of Jonah or son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Flesh and blood, your sonship of your Father has not revealed this to you, but your sonship of heaven has revealed this to you. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says to Peter, who's answered correctly, and the whole group is sticking their hand up, I know, I know, and she calls on Peter, and he gets it right, and he's patting himself on the back, I got it right, and he says, you didn't get it right, God got it right in you. Awesome. He says, on that truth that I am the Son of God, the Son, the living Son of God, of my Father who is in heaven, on that truth, and your declaration of it, comes the building of the church. Good answer. And then just a few verses later comes Peter's fall from grace. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside because Peter knows the answers, right? Peter took him aside and said, Far be it from you, Lord. This will never happen to you on my watch. And Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. That's a lot different from blessed be you who knows this friend. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Now listen, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. A few minutes ago, he told Peter, you are setting your mind on the things of God, which is why you've got the right answer. Right now, you're speaking from your flesh which is why you got the wrong answer. And therein is the simplest definition of sin I have ever seen, which is setting your mind on the things of men instead of the things of God. Now Peter, who you know, lived and walked next to Jesus for three years, his constant companion, the one who was ushered into some very unique um, vision, uh, views of his miracles and, his, and Jesus' capacity, and his declarations had trouble staying on the mind of God, diverted back to the mind of men. And so we shouldn't be surprised that some 2,000 years later, we're slipping backwards. But Jesus had a plan for that, as you well know. Now we're going to jump to Matthew 26, verses 1 through 16. First, I want to remind you that Jesus had just told Peter that terrible things were going to happen. There was going to be suffering. And unfortunately, ladies, our Bible is full of promises that you will suffer. And that you will mess up, and you will suffer because of that. You will mess up, you will suffer because of other people's mess up. This long timeline that Gretchen showed us last week, and all the stories embedded within it, are full of people who messed up <coughs> and got a chance to get a claim in a good way. And so we should not be surprised that a person like Rahab, the prostitute, who was the topic of our, of our reading this week, has a transformed identity in Jesus, because that was his whole point. 
God of love knew that she was going to be part of the Jesus story. She was going to save the Israelites so Jesus could come through that line. Her story is not about her sin. It's about how her sin put her in the right place at the right time to become redeemed in the heavenly realms. So in Matthew 26, 1 through 16, Jesus said to his disciples, I'm, I'm telling you, the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Now remember, Peter had just said, this isn't going to happen. But it is. And then one of the twelve, Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? You have to understand, Judas Iscariot wasn't signing up for the suffering part. He was not signing up for, my leader is going to be hauled off and I'm going to be hauled off with him. In fact, he wasn't even signing up for the fact that Jesus maybe was the leader that Peter said he was. So from that moment, he looked for an opportunity to betray him. And they paid him 30 pieces of silver, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. He did not want to get caught up in that suffering and in that blame. Can't say that I blame him. As they were eating, verse 21, Jesus says to all the 12 who are gathered at the table, including the one he said, get behind me, Satan, to Peter, and this one, Judas, who's looking for an opportunity to betray him. And by this point, we are at the Passover, two days later, and, Jesus is, and Judas has found an opportunity to betray Jesus. We know that he will do that with a kiss in the Garden of Gethsemane. But Jesus says to them, Truly I say to you, one will be, betray me, Judas, would betray him, and he answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. Judas self-identified even in his attempt to cover up. And now as they're eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it and broke it and gave it to the disciples, he said, Take and eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. What for? For the forgiveness of sins. Sitting at that table are two sinners that we know for sure, and probably ten others. And he's telling them, anything that is not on the mind of God, that is on the mind of men, constitutes as sin. And I'm sitting here giving you my life for the forgiveness of it. Matthew 26, 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and then Jesus said to them, You'll all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I'll go, I'll go before you to Galilee. <clears throat> Jesus knows something, and he has not been shy about telling his disciples, stuff is going to come down. And he's also not been shy about saying. And in that time of temptation, you'll probably take the road of flesh. You will scatter from me. Matthew 26, 33 through 35. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. I have to say, I, I identify with Peter. He's the one that's like, Pick me, take me, I'll walk on water. I'll never... Oh, always. And Jesus knows he has this earnestness about him, but he also knows that he's made of flesh and bone and will likely defer to his own temptations without some correction. 
So Jesus said to him, to Peter, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. We know the end of this story, don't we? Luke, one of our other gospel writers, adds this part, but it's not in the book of Matthew. It's worthy to hear. Luke 22, 31 through 32, Jesus is talking. Simon, Simon, which is Peter's other name, Simon Peter. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus knows two things. He will deny him, and he will turn back. And he's given a provision for that. That's good news for us. Back to Matthew. Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go there and pray. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it, is not, if, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus has his mind on the things of God, not on the things of the flesh. He's not denying that this is going to hurt, and he wish it weren't going to happen. But he says, Not my will, but your will be done. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, so you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into what? Temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is, everybody say it, weak. Then comes the tragic fall from grace, Peter's denial. A kiss of betrayal, followed by a scattering of disciples, all of which Jesus knew were coming. Three times Peter denies. A servant girl asks him, you are with Jesus, the Galilean. But Peter denies it, saying, I don't know what you mean. Vain ignorance. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Another servant girl. I love it that the servant girls are the ones to kind of catch him up there. Girl power. This man was with Jesus of Nazareth, she says. And again, Peter denied it with an oath. I do not even know the man. So first he feigns ignorance, and then he's like, oh, you can believe me. I don't even know the guy. Fake news. And then the bystanders, lots of them, come to Peter. Certainly you too are one of them. Your accent betrays you. You sound like you're from Alabama. You were with the Alabama. And I'm thinking of our event coming out. Your accent betrays you. We know you're one of them. And then he began to invoke, listen, a curse on himself. And swear, I don't know the man. So he goes from ignorance to making a promise to say, oh, on my dead, over my dead body, I don't know the man. Our lives get deeper and worse, don't they, if we continue to feed them. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Just in the sound of that rooster crowing, he saw his sin. The same way I saw my sin when my daughter innocently pointed it out to me. And regret is the painful consequence of sin. And I would use the word remorse here as an equivalent. We definitely know that Peter wishes he hadn't done that. And that he, knowing the Savior, knows what the Savior would have thought. Now let's look at what Matthew's done, this, or what uh, Judas has done in the same circumstance. In Matthew 27, 
Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, oh, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. He's confessing to the very people that gave him the money. And they said, what's this to us? Don't come to me with your bread. That's nothing. Now, if we could write this story for Judas, we might tell him, go tell God. Go tell Jesus. Go tell the disciples. But instead, he went and hid. And you know his demise came after this because he stopped with regret and didn't go into repentance. Romans 5.8 promises us, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus sat at the table, knowing the sins around the table, the two most popular ones that we get from the gospel writers and all the rest of them. And even though he knew we were going to fail then and we're going to fail tomorrow and we failed yesterday, he already offered his blood as a sacrifice for our sin, even while we were still sinners. That's the most amazing thing. He didn't wait for us to get right. He met us where we are and gave us a provision, a way out from under it. Let's look at the Luke 24 now. This is um, um, some information that is not in Matthew as well, so I'm going to amplify. Luke starts his gospel, by the way, saying, I want to give you an orderly account of everything I know, which is why there's a little bit more detail in Luke in this particular sense. Luke 24, 10 through 12. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles, which is, I saw we went to the tomb and it was empty. And angels told us that he was risen. But these words seemed to the disciples like an idle tale and they did not believe them. Now here's the thing. Just by the fact that we see this in Luke, we know that all the disciples are together. In Peter's regret and remorse, he still come back to the upper room where they broke bread with Jesus. They've come back to gather. He's with the people that can hold him accountable. I don't know about you, but when I sin and know it, I tend to hide, which is the story of Genesis. But Peter didn't stay hidden, didn't stay in regret. He went back to his brothers, all of whom knew the story. They were all there hearing, you're going to do this, and you're all going to scatter, and they're equally sorrowful in their sin. And then the women come back saying, he's no longer dead, he's risen. How can this be? And so most of the guys think this is impossible. You poor ladies, you're having a moment. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stopping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. This is Peter and John. John tells us that uh, he got there sooner, but Peter went in first. Peter went in first, seeking the truth that Jesus had predicted. I will rise again and he is. Here it is before him. I want to just give you a little compare and contrast between what regret and repentance is. Regret is a hiding, and repentance is a seeking. You can stay in regret, which leads to many other outcomes. But Jesus says, confess your sins and faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But in order to confess, you have to come to him and come to others who will hold you accountable to him. So this is the beautiful story. Regret hiding, 
feeling the weight of the sin, feeling the consequence of the sin, but repentance, feeling the joy of hope. The promise is fulfilled. There is a way out from under it. That's what Jesus said. I will provide a way out from under it. It also gives us the, the ability to stay in the company with those who are believers. For a while, I, I wasn't practicing my faith. I had fallen um, into a routine of just doing life and you know, kind of living morally and so forth, but I did not have a community to hold me accountable. And I got a letter from the girl who had introduced me to Jesus from college. My name is Teresa. And she said, I was thinking about you, and I'm wondering how you're doing. And when I got her letter, I was mortified. And I wasn't doing anything. And I felt this immense regret that she had invested this precious pearl of wisdom in me and this relationship with Jesus had opened up to me and I'd been too busy to answer the seeking and knocking. But that regret made me seek and God provided a way to seek. I met a woman who took me to a Bible study who had a little kid the same age as mine. I think I mentioned this before and he gave me a way out from under that regret. So if we walk in the light, John says in his letter, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from sin. Authentic repentance restores fellowship. Here's a promise from the book of Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Do you, see the, do you see the definition of sin in there again? To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So we know Peter went through this regret, this remorse, and is coming to Christ again in, in, in a style of repentance. He's coming back to his faith community saying, this is what I know. And Jesus had said to him, you know you're going to mess up, but when you're done, go back to your brothers and encourage them. Remember Jesus said that to him? Well, here's what he's doing. Now he's got firsthand information. And Jesus spends some time with them during the time that he's on earth. And the, one of the very last personal encounters that he has with Peter is this beautiful story of complete redemption. From John 21, 15 through 17, we hear... Jesus asking, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these, these disciples? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Tend my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Jesus gives him a restorative way to be back in the fold. The shepherd is gone. The sheep are scattered. And he says, feed the lambs. You know, they're young in their faith. Feed them. They're going to need information. They're going to need training. They're going to need time with a wise person. They're going to need to sit with somebody who was an eyewitness. Feed the lambs. Oh, and then tend them as they get to be sheep and they're a little older and they get a little wily and they start taking things into their own hand, tend them. Tell them about the temptation. 
that will seize them, that is common to man, but there's a way out from under. Tend those sheep as they get older. And finally, keep feeding those sheep. Even as they're grown-ups, they're going to need information. Continue to feed my sheep. And so Jesus, in three steps that match the three denials, restores the relationship. Reconciliation restores purpose and peace. Peter doesn't have to stay in his regret or his remorse. He doesn't have to just wonder, now what? Now what am I going to do? What does this all mean for me? Jesus told him, I'm giving you the job. Feed the lambs. Tend the sheep. Feed the sheep. You got it? And in three steps, God gives him a way out from under any temptation by giving him a job. A job that is above the flesh. So I'm going to say to you, mamas, feed your sheep. Feed your lambs. Tend your sheep. God tells us to do that. Point out sins quickly as something that hurts God and others. I didn't do this. I did not say to my children when they were wrong that it was hurting God. Because I didn't really get it. I get it now. It changes everything if what you're doing is sin, not of the mind of God, then it hurts God. Allow for natural consequences or create them. Jesus allowed for natural consequences. Peter came along and felt the regret of his circumstances. Many times we want to protect our children from the negative consequences of their sin or take responsibility for it or rush that paper to school when they've forgotten to take it or once again rescue them out of a relationship that they got themselves into that they shouldn't have been in the first place. But there, are, there is some good reason for regret and remorse because you feel that sin through the eyes of the one who made you for something higher than this. Teach your model responsible apologies. This is an apology. Sorry. No. Well, I'm sorry you feel that way. No. I'm sorry that happened to you. No. I'm sorry that I. Anything short of that's not an apology. Just because a sentence contains the word sorry doesn't mean you're sorry. So owning the part that is yours to own is the part that you need to learn to say an apology. And ladies, we have to learn to say it ourselves. To our husbands, to our mothers, to our neighbors, which part of this leaning into sin was, was mine? And which part of it is mine to ask forgiveness for? And then, this is so important, demonstrate forgiveness and enjoy the peace that follows. If we are bogged down, ladies, with the sins of our past, and we're not enjoying the forgiveness, one or two things is true. First of all, we haven't decided it was our fault. Another thing is we haven't decided that God is big enough. And we haven't believed him when he said, you are my precious, your names are written on my palm. When I died for you, I gave you a way out from under this sin believing it for ourselves, and then demonstrating a different kind of peace that comes over you, a peace that surpasses understanding, a peace that's like nothing else on earth, we can show our children that. We can put them back into the fold. We can tell them what their role is going to be. We can say, because you've come to this, now I give you this to do, and to demonstrate your love, and to demonstrate your worthiness. Isn't that peace-giving? Isn't it good that though we're yet sinners, Christ died for us, and he has a way and a plan and a purpose for our lives? Isn't it good that what that judge said to Amber Geiger, this is where you begin and this is where you come out better than when you went in? 
I just want to finish today with, um, this came over me this morning as I was thinking about how, how we would end in prayer. Of course, we always you know, want to give our morning to Christ, and we had great worship, and we talked about forgiveness and sin upstairs and our songs, and everything seems to be relating to me this week because I'm studying this. But you know, today I just want to pray the Lord's Prayer together because it's all in there. So we probably all have a few different words for things like trespasses and debts and sins, but just follow along and please speak loudly with me as we pray this prayer together because I know you know it. And if you don't, it's in Luke 1. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.